1: this is on boys parenting podcast we are your co-host jennifer lw
0: fink mom of four boys and i'm janet allison teacher of many more thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting teaching and reaching tomorrow's men anxiety it's one thing to feel anxious as an adult and we've likely all developed all sorts of strategies for managing our own anxiety even when the world seems to keep giving us more reasons to up our game but watching your child be anxious and to see his life being unduly influenced by sometimes crippling anxiety that's tough and it hurts And often it's not just anxiety, but things like ADD and ADHD might also be in the mix. And whatever the mix is, you just want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And so when Jen and I meet someone who has a slightly different take on things, we wanna share that person and their expertise with you, our listeners, in hopes it will help you maybe step out of the usual path and perhaps help you discover something that you hadn't thought of before or look at things with a new perspective. Our guest today is a board certified integrative pediatrician and mom of eight boys. What I love about her approach is that she looks at the whole child mind, body, and spirit. And I'm so looking forward to this conversation today. Welcome, Dr. Mary Wilde.
2: Thank you. So excited to be here. I feel at home. <laughs> you know, so often we have such smart guests on here that
1: have areas of expertise in, you know, specific areas of psychology or parenting or or medicine, and you've got that professional background, but you get boys. You have hard-earned boy experience, and I know that's going to come through and will be so valuable to our listeners.
0: And I love that you focus on the whole person, that we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses, and above all, we have unlimited potential. Tell us about the different areas that you focus on. Just kind of dial us in. So my main two
2: focuses are anxiety and ADHD. And so I have a clinical practice called Imagine Pediatrics Behavioral Health and Wellness. And it's in southern Utah in the beautiful Red Rocks near Zion National Park. I I am a general pediatrician, but I focus so differently on these diagnoses and these issues than so many of my peers. Let's define integrative pediatrician. I think that's
1: a a term that a a lot of people aren't going to be familiar with.
2: Yes, that's a good place to start. And integrative really means bringing together a lot of pieces. So I use modern medicine at the same time as I'm open to more complementary strategies. So as I'm working with my clients in my assessment, I talk about the whole child. I talk about their sleep, their nutrition, their Mm -hmm. exercise level, the family dynamic. And so every intake is 60 to 90 minutes of going through in detail all the background. Because I think Mm -hmm. so often a child goes in to the pediatrician and Basically, it's just, do they have this diagnosis or do they not? And then if they do, mm-hmm. what prescription do we write? <laughs> and- or you just check off the developmental milestones,
1: you check the right. blood pressure, you check the temperature, you look in the ears,
2: good. Boom, Or Done. not good. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like there's so much more to be communicated. Mm-hmm. And so I really have a skill-based approach that incorporates, incorporates a lot of different modalities. I teach clients mindfulness and imagery and cognitive behavioral therapy strategies i teach them about yoga and how body movement can help us self-regulate i teach about tapping i teach about diaphragmatic breathing Um, i also help kids focus on how their emotional state is also connected with their spirit. That Mm -hmm. as they do things that connect with other people and find meaning and purpose in their lives, then they will be more emotionally healthy. So this is what I mean by integrative. It's just bringing all these pieces together.
0: I love as you're saying that I get I, I see the prescription pad of your you know the prescription is nature get <laughs> right. outside.
2: <laughs> right and I do write other prescriptions as well. Um but it's not
0: exclusive. It's it's mm-hmm. bringing
2: in all the
0: tools. Yeah. Tell us how that might manifest and yes. and that it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So kind of give that that rundown because a parent might be wondering, is this normal? Is this like, oh, all of a sudden they're afraid of the dark or they're not sleeping. Is this normal developmental stages or should I be more concerned and looking more deeply?
1: Many of us moms don't know what anxiety in a boy might look like. Right. They're differently. They're wired differently. Mm -hmm. A hard lesson I've learned is that what I think anxiety or depression looks like, it doesn't necessarily manifest the same way in boys.
2: Right. So I think one thing to say right now, especially in this highly anxious time, is that the commonness of anxiety doesn't mean that it shouldn't be addressed because Mm -hmm. it's very common right now, but we still need to address it.
1: That is super important. And I want to emphasize that. The commonness of anxiety doesn't mean that it shouldn't be addressed and that's so important for all of us to keep in mind right now. I know that in my social circles um, there's probably more of us anxious right now than not. Amongst our kids who are living through this pandemic, they are seeing the adults around them expressing all kinds of anxiety and worries, they're anxious. That doesn't mean we just go, well, I guess that's how it is.
2: Right, right. So some ways that anxiety can show up, it can show up as excessive worry. Um, It can show up as avoidance, difficulty concentrating, irritability, sleep issues, tension in the body, racing heart, sweating, nausea, chest pain. It can show up in a lot of different ways. And it's interesting, we think of, and statistics show that anxiety tends to be more common in girls than boys, but I think that sometimes it does show up differently. Um, Girls tend to be more likely to also seek help when they're struggling. There, There are different theories about why maybe it shows up or is diagnosed more frequently in girls, but part of it is because of the socialization aspect that males are often expected just to suck it up and oh, so yeah. we know that anxiety is an internalizing behavior typically that it's it's one that is turned inward and and that can be very damaging when you think about how energy is neither created nor destroyed so if yeah. there's this rise in in this emotional energy and it doesn't discharge then it goes in and it can be really damaging Also, you know, there are other theories about hormonal differences coming to play. Also, that boys tend to have natural exposure therapy based on their socialization because people say, just go, just go face it. And and that's actually a therapeutic technique. And so maybe it truly does decrease anxiety in boys. Interesting. But in boys, it may more likely show up as an externalizing behavior, as Mm -hmm. acting out, as negativity. Anger. Yes. And so when you look at comorbidities or things that come along with anxiety in boys and girls, it's also different. So with boys, it tends to come along with ADHD. It tends to come along with intermittent explosive disorder. It tends to come along, um, you know, with with substance use and and Mm self-medication. So... Mm -hmm. So these are things to watch for, but overall, no matter what the gender of your child, we need to be better at teaching emotional intelligence. And so maybe I can define that a little bit, you know, going back to Daniel Goleman's definition of emotional intelligence, where it has four components and those are self-awareness, self-regulation, and then empathy and then relationship work. And so no matter whether you have a boy or you have a girl or a combination, all these things need to be taught. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just so important. But just to go back to what we said before about the commonness, I was reading a recent CDC report and it said that 75% of young adults in this current pandemic, so I think this was in the summer this data was gathered, 75% were experiencing some emotional symptom of depression or anxiety. And that's a big number. And then 25% of the young adults had had some suicidal ideation, Mm -hmm. which is also really, it's troubling. And it's really important because anxiety untreated and unaddressed can lead to depression, partly because of it it leads to isolation. It leads to questioning of self and, questioning of self-worth and so so these things are really important to be aware of so
1: anxiety is an issue that we have been wrestling with in my household over the last um, few years and it's been interesting for me trying to figure out differentiating between anxiety some of those internalizing behaviors you mentioned like uh, excessive worry um, Mm -hmm. avoidance sleep issues even some of the physical stuff from teen boydom. You know, we, nice. we have this uh, perception, which is based on what a lot of us see, that, you know, they become teens, they go in their rooms and they pretty much stay there most of the time. And I know that a certain amount of that is normal, but mm-hmm. what I found out over the course of years and in conversations with my son was that while he was in there, there was a mm-hmm. lot of excessive worry going on. Mm. Um, some of the physical issues that he was having are likely rooted more in anxiety than, you know, a, like an injury. Um, there were sleep issues that I wasn't fully aware of. So mm. how can you help our listeners differentiate between, you know, typical teen boy stuff, especially, and what might likely be anxiety? And then, even if you as a parent start going, hmm, this could be a problem, then what? How do you bring that yes. this up?
2: Yes. Well, those are such important questions. Um, I think overall, especially in this time, we need to work to get our teenagers out of their rooms because there's a lot of isolation, social isolation that's happening. Recognizing though that sometimes their technology use may be healthy for them and connecting them to Mm -hmm. other people. And that's really important right now, but there are also other things we can do. Um, We can try to get together with, like, families in our pod um, in a socially distanced fashion even or outside. But getting our kids out of their rooms, I think, can really be helpful. Sometimes I find that boys tend to distract themselves, for example, with technology Mm -hmm. and not really um, connect with their feelings or acknowledge their feelings. So talking, that's one way to do it. And and they may be resistant to talking. And so if you can have what is often, whatever, often referred to as side-by-side conversations mm-hmm. instead of face-to-face conversations where maybe you're in the car or maybe you're doing something together and you say, hey, how are you feeling right now? What do you think about the pandemic? Mm-hmm. What do you think about the election? What do you think about the social unrest? You know, and just letting them talk and usually... The phrase, I don't know, means they think something. <laughs> so digging yeah. a little deeper.
0: Right. That is just so, the beginning of the conversation.
2: Exactly. That mm-hmm. is parenting gold right there.
1: Right. You know? mm-hmm. I don't know rarely means I don't know. It often means I don't know if I want to trust you with this information. I'm not sure you're not going to use this against me. Right. It, you know, or I don't know how to
2: say it. Up-
1: yes.
0: Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I think you were saying, and then what? One of the biggest things that we can do, I think that's just as really natural to boys is to get them moving their bodies. We know that movement, it releases all kinds of natural endorphins. So in a book called Spark, Dr. Rady talks about how, you know, um, aerobic exercise, um, it is like taking some Prozac and some Ritalin Um, because it really does create a natural chemical response, a physiologic response that is helpful to our mood. And so that is one thing that we can all do. So, so if our kids weren't really anxious, so what they're getting in shape, they're being healthy. So (laughs) a lot of times the, the, the best cures are the things that would be good for us anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things. And then just helping kids connect with their emotions, helping them name their feelings, and then being okay with their feelings. So often as parents, we want to just say, no, 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 it's okay. Uh, We want to kind of smooth everything over because we feel uncomfortable with with difficult Mm -hmm. feelings. Mm -hmm. We feel uncomfortable when our kids acknowledge their discomfort because we care about them, but we need to sit with them and be okay with them having hard emotions. Yeah. So helping them name their emotions, helping them express that, and then letting that emotion be there.
0: Yeah, to just sit with it. And I find a, a, a handy uh, phrase, an empathetic phrase is, you know, I worry about that too. Mm-hmm. Or I get angry about that too. So that they know mm-hmm. that they're not isolated in their feelings and they're not right. alone in... I'm the only one that thinks this Mm -hmm. um, can be really helpful. And for littler ones, you know, yeah, wow, I remember feeling that way when I was seven, too. And here's Mm -hmm. what I did. So offering some tangible strategies also of how to climb out of that hole. We're going to pause for a moment in this conversation with Dr. Mary to let you know about a special offer that she has designed for our On Boys listeners, that's you. As we're hearing in this conversation with Dr. Mary, anxiety is the most common mental health struggle of kids and teens today. And that was before the pandemic. Anxiety tends to be quite treatable yet, if unaddressed, may impair enjoyment, relationships, and just being able to function. You can help your child move past anxiety, move toward greater confidence, enjoyment, and success in life, and you can learn how to parent your anxious child, too. Imagine trading in worry, stress, and overwhelm for greater confidence and resilience and calm for all of you. You know, for years, our Envoy's guest, Dr. Mary Wilde, has been teaching parents and kids to recognize and respond to stress in a healthy way, using strategies of the mind, body, and spirit from her clinic in the United States. Her success with Clients in person has fueled her desire to bring this information to you, dear parents, into your homes and with these self-guided courses directly to your kids, too, so that they can learn the valuable strategies that they need to be able to manage their anxiety. We've teamed with Dr. Mary to bring you these courses, one for kids, one for parents, so that together you can find more confidence, resilience, and calm even in the midst of a pandemic. To get this special offer, go to bit.ly and follow the prompts. Dr. Mary is passionate about helping families, and in addition to the parent course and child-focused course she's offering, she's including, as a bonus, all of the interviews from the Anxiety Essentials 1.0 Summit. These are proven strategies to help parents of anxious kids from renowned thought leaders, including Rennie Jane and Tamar Chansky. Again, go to bitly b i t slash on boys. What a good feeling to know that you've got expert help to transform anxiety and worry into resilience and calm. And now back to our conversation with Dr. Mary.
2: Yeah, and and maybe I'll just walk through what is what I offer my clients and what I what I mm-hmm. walk them through in my anxiety course. Just to give you a sense for the tools that are available. In in, in the mind realm, cognitive behavioral therapy is so helpful. Just thinking about our thoughts and analyzing our thoughts and recognizing that we can make choices about them. Then also mindfulness, that's more of a sense of sitting with our feelings and just having a non-judgmental acceptance. And then imagery, recognizing that in our minds we can take ourselves all kinds of places and and completely transform our experience then in the body realm diaphragmatic breathing the the breathing is a backdoor approach to calming your nervous system because um, diaphragmatic breathing stimulates the vagus nerve it naturally slows down your heart rate and it starts de-escalating the response that's happening yoga And I'm trained in this program called Yoga Calm, where you take someone from the state they're in, so maybe a more active pose, a more um, energetic Hmm. pose, and then you take them through a sequence that brings them to the state that you want them to or they want to arrive at. And so it's it's a beautiful thing. And then tapping. There's a lot of evidence that tapping, so that's like tapping on acupressure points while you go through a certain script to process your feelings that it can be very helpful in cases of ptsd and trauma and anxiety and many other things and then for the spirit strategies just the basis here is connecting people with other people connecting them with things they love things that make their heart sing and resonate um doing service for other people often is is also a huge therapy Mm -hmm. so these are just some ideas and so creating kind of your own toolkit of, of what works for you, um, because it's, it's often said that anxiety cannot exist when the resources exceed the risk, the perceived risk. And so mm. if we have more resources, more tools, and we're practicing them and modeling them, then anxiety can melt away.
0: Wow. So Yeah. Well. So I I, as you're talking about this, I love all of these ideas. And I have I'm a family coach. So I work with a lot of families who are dealing with anxiety, maybe in their seven, eight, nine year olds. And there is this place where the family has morphed into uh, supporting that anxiety in some way. And and like, it's even unconscious, but basically walking on eggshells because they're going to get anxious about that and we're going to adjust over here and so I can imagine that in your work you're working with the child but also with the whole family and recognizing how the family pattern might be supporting more anxiety would that be fair to say Absolutely, because it's it's always a dynamic. And the
2: tricky thing about anxiety is that parents need to parent in a way that is counterintuitive, because they feel like their job is to bring comfort, ease, and um, and happiness to their children. And so of yeah. course, they try to create these this this ideal context, but they don't realize that in creating this ideal context, they're sending a message to their kids. That I don't believe you can handle it, and therefore I'm going to custom make your environment because you can't handle it. And this is what I talk with my clients all the time is you know, talking back to worry, to, to not allow worry to be a tyrant. And so do the opposite of what anxiety tells you. One of the most
1: challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. It's telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is
0: convenient for you. Visit bywinona.com today to start your free visit.
2: What I have to say is that I also acknowledge that part of anxiety is healthy, part of anxiety is protective and motivating. And so it's, it's also identifying how much is useful, how much is problematic.
1: Having to parent in a way that is counterintuitive, Janet, it reminds me of a couple years ago when my youngest Sam went with his classmates to sixth grade camp, back when we could send whole classrooms of children on a bus and put them mm-hmm. in cabins together. <laughs> like, how it like a dream. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I knew from talking to him that he was anxious about going. But I thought it was like, you know, typical anxious, usual anxious. Like, everybody's nervous about a new experience. And I didn't worry too much about him because, like, as a family, we've gone camping multiple times. Mm-hmm. He will be fine when he gets there and is doing stuff. And I, like many of the parents, you have the opportunity to go up and help with something for a day. And so I I volunteered in the kitchen one day and that ended up being a bad choice because (laughs) him seeing me kind of triggered separation anxiety. It was very difficult for him when Mm -hmm. I had to leave. And I mean, it involved a meltdown. It involved like he had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. and i had to leave while my child was in tears Mm -hmm. talk about counterintuitive as a parent like the one thing you want to do is wrap him in your arms and just hold him Mm -hmm. but i had to leave and he got through it and he was fine and he grew from that
2: yes and so uh, you know part of my anxiety course is actually a course for parents that goes along with it because it's as much the parents that need to reconstruct their strategies as the child and
1: mm-hmm. there is a, a certain genetic and learned component to anxiety, right so often Definitely. anxious kids have parents who themselves have either diagnosed or undiagnosed anxiety, mm-hmm. so that's fun
2: yeah, and actually, I maybe we can address for a minute you know, as I was thinking about anxiety in boys, I was thinking about. How it's easy as a parent to have anxiety when you have boys because, um, you know, they, you know, another way that is, um, another thing that's so characteristic of anxiety is an overestimation of risk and an underestimation of resources. But, you know, with boys, they don't do this. Many boys have an underestimation of risk and an yeah. overestimation of resources, and they're just Absolutely. barreling in. And so, you know, as a parent, we sometimes have to check our own anxiety. And I'll, I'll maybe just tell a little story about, so when I lived in Minnesota, we had these two big pine trees in front of our house, and our boys loved to climb them. And they would climb so high. And they, they'd be like, look, mom, I'm swaying in the wind. And, and I just had to look away. And I had to ask myself, do I want to be a mother of boys who climb trees? And I said, yes, I do. So I'm going to look away. (laughs) Um, I have had to do the same thing (laughs) so many
1: times with trees, with
2: bike jumps,
1: with all kinds of things where on some level, I know this is good for them, but it is really hard for me. And the way I cope with it is by not looking. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a husband that's very, you know, he's like from North Idaho and he thinks everyone should just, you know, everyone's gonna be fine no matter what. (laughs) So we balance each other out really well, but I have had to check my own anxiety for sure.
0: I just wanna underscore that question that you asked yourself, because I think that's a really good place for moms especially to land is, do I wanna be the mom of a boy who climbs trees? Do I wanna be the mom of a boy who is doing bike tricks and knows how to fix his bike and do all those things? Yes. So, okay. Look away. Support. I often tell moms, you know, ask the men around you. Ask the dads. (laughs) Is this okay? Like, is this too much or is this okay? And like your husband, they'll be like, absolutely. Send them, you know, further afield. It's good. (laughs) And it's, we have to check our own our
1: own anxieties our own anxieties absolutely you know you can take that question a little bit further i bring it all back to teens because that's what i'm currently living with but ask yourself do i want to be the mom of a critical thinker right do i want to be the mom of an independent thinker and the answer is yes in the moment i usually want to strangle my children because (laughs) inevitably they're challenging me they don't agree with me they are arguing. Um, you've got older sons. I'm sure you have had that same experience.
2: Right. So I think that it can be really important to also, though, acknowledge that as moms that we have to trust our gut. And sometimes we really don't feel comfortable with an activity and, and it's okay to call call quits on it. Um, and so it's really a tricky balance. So mm-hmm. one question I ask myself is like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And, you know, it if they are a few broken bones involved it probably is going to it's it's not like an irreconcilable thing i would not like my kids to break their bones and sometimes that question isn't a healthy question but sometimes it helps me clarify you know to say is this a you know a, a big risk or is it a little risk right. and mm-hmm. and like why do i feel like this do i feel like this is like this general anxiety i have as a mom or is this like a a specific like internal warning you know, the, yeah. The, the like there's something to stop.
1: I see specifically about this activity that is raising alarm bells for me today. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 I want to also just highlight, I, I, I get kind of hung up on words cause I love words. Yes. And as we're talking about anxiety, I recognize that when my kids were growing up, my, my daughters are 35 and 31. So a little bit older and, and also when I was growing up, we did not use this word anxiety. Mm-hmm. We did not use the word anxious. Right. You know, there was worry, there was um, nervousness maybe, but anxiety was not a word that that was in our lexicon, at least right. in my world. And so I just, I kind of wonder about what we put under the umbrella of anxiety If it's really anxiety or if it's kind of that excited fear, that excited excitement towards risk-taking or Mm -hmm. just, oh, I'm really nervous about how that's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. But we kind of are chunking maybe too many things under the umbrella of anxiety. I I don't know, but I wonder about that.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a really important question. Because when you think about anxiety, like as a pediatrician, I think of it as a defined term that has specific criteria in, you know, the the DSM, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the diagnostic manual. But often we throw around the term just to mean worry, and, and worry is a part of life. And that's not something that we need to get clinical help for necessarily mm-hmm. if it's not impairing function, if it's not, um, you know, longstanding, if, if it's not really getting in the way and leading to other problems.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so worrying about that test on Friday because I didn't study the whole week. You know, mm-hmm. that's not anxiety. It's just like normal, natural worry. And that's yeah can be motivating to have that feeling.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And when you think about cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the things that it tries to sort out is what part of this thought is distorted because sometimes mm-hmm. Absolute worry is has no distortion in it at all, and and that's not pathology. Same with sadness. You know, if you have had experienced a a major loss, you will be sad, and that's not pathology. That's not distortion. So, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay. Here's what I want to know: It is easy to talk about anxiety, and it's easy to talk about. We need to teach our kids emotional intelligence. And then there's the reality of living in a household of eight boys who don't necessarily want to deal with any of this. They just want to have a good time.
2: Right.
1: So what does this look like in your house? You know, you get to be the expert easily at work and in the office, but your own family will challenge you in ways that your patients never will.
2: Right. And they don't care what kind of a degree you have or what training nope. you have been to. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they don't care. Nope. So, I think one of the major things that I've used all along is stories and literature because it teaches so many lessons about empathy and awareness. I also, from the beginning, have always asked my boys, you know, especially as conflicts arise, how do you think that person is feeling and how do you feel? And so I, it just has kind of come naturally to me. But having a dialogue about emotions um, doesn't always come naturally to families and it doesn't always come naturally to boys. But mm-hmm. I, I feel successful in that I've sort of brought that in. And one way has, has been the books we've read together too.
1: You know, it's funny when you talked about, you know, how, how do you think this makes the other person feel when conflict arises? I giggled a little bit because uh, there are every day multiple opportunities for that when you have a lot of people in your family if you have eight boys in a house there will be conflict on a regular basis
2: Mm -hmm. which
1: for the parent can be aggravating annoying overwhelming Mm -hmm. and a really great opportunity for these kids to find boundaries develop emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. um So keep that in mind, uh, moms, when you are struggling with your boys bickering in conflicts.
2: Yes. And I want to say, too, that having a large family has made me completely incapable of creating perfect conditions for everybody. Um, You know, life is messy. Dinner's late. Not everyone's happy. And that's kind of the status quo. And and that kind of. As I have let go of my wish to create perfect conditions that actually has made my kids a lot more resilient. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because I see that if I had had a smaller family, I probably would have been, I I wouldn't have let go of that as early. And I would have been trying so hard to make everyone happy and mm-hmm. to
0: their detriment.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. yeah. 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 I want to, underscore that this is a conversation I just want to have like a big blue pen that I can underscore so many things that you're saying because <laughs> they they seem like just such little things and Jen is taking notes furiously I should see, I will take notes. some
1: pictures of this because I yeah. have been underlining and starring and it's I'll put so them in the great. show notes you can't read yeah. it but I'm taking the yeah.
0: notes yeah but this <laughs> underscoring and I mean research bears this out of as our families are smaller there is more focus on we, oh, we just are trying so hard for our kids to be happy. We just mm-hmm. want them to be happy. And it's impossible. You're right. setting yourself for, up for an impossible task, number one. And number two is they need to know what it's like to be unhappy right. and to have to do the negotiation or whatever it is to to find that place within them in themselves to feel back in balance or just, or, and just being unhappy. That's okay too.
2: And I, so I feel like like when dinner's late and my kids are hungry and wanting food, I say to myself, you know, it's good for them to know that they can be hungry and they're not dying, you know? Um, (laughs) And I also see a grace in my own childhood, how, you know, things that I may look back and say, that wasn't perfect. That actually has prepared me for Uh... this chaotic life so for example i did not grow up in a super organized structured home it was more go with the flow it was you know a little less organized and that has made me be able to tolerate the complete (laughs) chaos of my life and um, so many people say like how do you stay sane how do you survive and i just say i don't know i just i can tolerate some chaos And, Mm -hmm. and so I thank my mother (laughs) for, for
1: that. I want to hear your top boy, mom tips. Uh, You, I know you have some, you've been doing this for (laughs) 20 plus years. So what have you learned? What wisdom do you have to share with us?
2: Well, I think that I I have some, some things that I'd love to share. One is that we need as parents especially as mothers, to insist on respectful behavior from our boys. Because the way they treat us is the way they will treat their families in the future. And we are doing them no favor by allowing them to mistreat us. And, and I think that's a really important thing because we can feel like we're being so patient and so kind. But we are doing no one any favors by tolerating disrespectful behavior. And so that's one thing.
0: Underline. Um, underline <laughs> in it. Yeah, Our listeners yes. are
2: going to love that because it's an, it's an issue that we all struggle
1: with. You know, yeah. um, by definition, our boys will push back. They will be disrespectful. That's right. part of the process. Right. How you deal with that is up to you.
0: And that could be physical, you know, head bumped into your belly, or that can be definitely language and it needs to be shut down. It is not okay.
2: Right. And one way that that looks in my house is, you know, sometimes I catch myself like my kid my one of my little sons says, "Mom, get me some milk." And I catch myself and say, "I can hear your request when you make it politely." And then they they suddenly backpedal and say, "Mom, will you please get me some milk?" And and it's amazing. It, the behavior we tolerate is the behavior that will be there. Mm-hmm. The behavior mm-hmm. that we say we mm-hmm. will not tolerate usually goes away.
1: over time. Over time. time, I just feel the need to emphasize that for parents because so often it's like, well, I didn't tolerate it and they're still doing it.
2: It's a process. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that clarification. Mm -hmm. I think another thing as boy moms that maybe we have to keep in mind even more than moms of girls is that we ascribe to the mantra that stuff is stuff and people are more important than things because I will not I cannot tell you how many things have broken in my house and in fact it was funny my my husband's brother came with his boys and of course they started this wrestling match in our living room and broke a hole in the wall and you know it's just like part and parcel for the boy mom experience and recently I I had this couch that I really loved and I had had it recovered and it was like my one piece that I just <laughs> yeah. I tried to like cover it with a blanket just so it would stay nice just for a little while and then of course my four-year-old decided to draw on it with a dry erase marker yeah. and you know that could have been it could have been a girl it could have been a boy but in the context of yep. all the things of mine that have been broken <laughs> I just like like crumpled and and cried because I just thought is nothing safe is nothing protected, you know, and and again, that's a process because I've definitely tried to teach my kids to be respectful. And in general, they are, but they just are a little more rowdy and rough and things break. I'm laughing as soon
1: as you said that because I currently have a couch in my living room that has a huge tear in the side of it, like huge. <laughs> it started as a little hole. you could put a toe in and then a whole foot. Now you could put your head in there now if you wanted to. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not going to even try to get a new couch right now. These kids have to be
2: gone, <laughs> right. Another thing that I think is so important, whether you have boys or girls, um, is to provide opportunities for service. I think it builds us and we all need to feel important. And like we've done something meaningful. And two, two experiences that I'll share associated with this. So one, one of my sons, when he was 12, we were trying to figure out what to do for his birthday party. And we decided to go and pack food at a, a food shelter. And so for the birthday party, these 12-year-old boys packed two tons of... Oh, wow. Or actually, no, one ton. (laughs) They packed one ton of potatoes. Still
0: impressive. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It was so interesting because one of the boys that came to the party said, this is the best birthday party I've ever been to. And and I thought, oh my goodness, like they've probably been to, to houses of jump. They've probably been to all kinds of like flashy birthday parties, but this was the one they said was their favorite. Wow. So another example... One wonderful experience that it's like a sacred experience that I have had is being able to care for my mother in her older years. And she has since passed away, but there was a period when I needed to take care of her and I physically couldn't because I was eight months pregnant and she was, she only had use of one arm. We had to use a Hoyer lift to move her. We had to turn her every few hours. We had to do, you know, feedings with a feeding tube, everything. And I just was so perplexed about how I could take care of my mother. And suddenly it dawned on me. I have an army. I have an army of strong boys. And so they, I asked them, could I pay you just a little bit to come in? It was during the summer, you know, just for a few minutes, every few hours to help turn grandma. Mm -hmm. And because that was the part that I couldn't do. And they did. And it completely solved my problem. And I, I... I just, I think that we need to use our boys. We need to use our kids to do meaningful things. Our
1: boys want to contribute to the world. That drive is so strong in them. And at the same time, you know, they're kids. They're caught up in their own world. They don't necessarily see those opportunities. And I love that, you know, you didn't get mad at your boys for not offering.
0: Mm -hmm. I love
1: that you realize, you know, this turning and helping clean grandma is not something that they would likely choose to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay you a little bit of something that got them into it. But when they were doing it, you, you use the word sacred. I have cared for um, dying people in my work as a, a nursing assistant and a nurse previously, Janet cared for both of her parents through the end. That is a very sacred experience. And I know that it touched your boys deeply. Even if they Mm -hmm. didn't initially think that it was going to, Mm -hmm. it touched Mm -hmm. them. And they learned such important things. We're all tearing up here, you guys. I know. know. (laughs) They learned such important things about the world. Mm -hmm. Death is a part of life. And we can't avoid it, even Mm -hmm. if we want to. The need to help one another, because somebody can't for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Mm
2: -hmm. It's the only way we're getting through this life. Right. And, you know, that also goes back to not being able to create perfect conditions. Yes. Um, One of my sons, I remember a distinct morning where he said to me, Mom, after you eat your breakfast, after you feed grandma, after you change grandma, would you read me a story? And he was only five years old, but he recognized it it made me just cry to hear all these things that he knew that came before him out of necessity at that moment in our lives. Um, but it showed me that my son was learning patience. And yes. it it was in a way that I could not have constructed. I could not mm-hmm. have, like, said, I want to teach you patience. So we will do these things. It was just life, teaching him patience. Yeah. And, and it was because our lives were imperfect, because we were overtaxed, that he learned that. We just, we took that
1: brief moment of silence there because I think um, we were all thinking how profound that is. And as much as we have all been stressed out and anxious about this pandemic, it is so imperfect in all of our homes right now that there have been marvelous opportunities for our children to learn patience, to learn to tolerate less than ideal. Uh we have to remember that and give ourselves grace to have those experiences to have that space for those experiences.
2: Definitely. Um, another thing that has really helped me, you know, not be overwhelmed with the parenting experience, although I am overwhelmed with it at times. <laughs> you. I won't say I'm not. But, um, It's allowed me to survive, let me say it that way. (laughs) Is that I look at my job as a mother to give my children a chance for apprenticeship. So I have involved them in the things that I'm doing, and I recognize that as I do good things and model those things, then they naturally will take them up. And I I would like to share a quote if I could. It's from a book named If You Want to Write by Brenda Euland. And that was Jesus. one of the first writing books I read when I, I, was, loved dis- when I was discovering,
1: uh-huh. uh, tapping into, this is the thing that always made me feel alive, that I love before yes. I transitioned from nursing to writing. So, wow, oh.
2: Wow. She says, to teach, encourage, cheer up, console, amuse, stimulate, or advise a husband or children or friends, you have to be something yourself. And how to be something yourself only by working hard and with gumption at something you love and care for and think is important. So if you want your children to be musicians, then work at music yourself seriously and with all your intelligence. If you want them to be scholars, study hard yourself. If you want them to be honest, be honest yourself. And so it goes. I have totally seen this come to bear in my life. So when I was writing my parenting book, three of my boys started writing their own books. You know, and they didn't publish them, but they just were kind of modeling what I was doing. You know, they didn't like try to like sell them or anything. They just but they started writing books. I
0: think this really highlights, Mary, this notion of sometimes when we, you know, we're in piles of laundry and we're just trying to now remote learning and all the things and we forget about who we are as people Mm
2: -hmm. and who we
0: were before we had kids. and what our passions are and we you know get so busy that we forget that oh we oh I used to love to sew or I used to love to you know spend time on Saturday reading a good book and it is so important for our kids to see what it is to be a human you know that's not in service to them a healthy adult that's not in service to them Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us tend to you know, we just want to keep everybody happy. To circle back to the beginning of our conversation, of mm-hmm. oh, if we just can keep them happy, and um, you know, I, I have to say, at one mom who was delivering water to her son at his video mm. game console, and it's <gasps> like, yeah, no, not happening.
1: You know, it's one no. thing if you're walking past anyway, and you're like, <laughs> sure. here you go. It's as as a kindness, but mm-hmm. as mm, yeah.
0: Yeah. So those
1: words that you read, Mary, literally were part of what inspired me to write again. And I now make my living as a writer. And none of my children have become or likely will become writers, but they're (laughs) all really good at it. And the entrepreneur thing, Janet, you know that's strong over here. Yep, it sure is. Mm-hmm. So and
0: they're watching you, Jen. Lord,
1: have my children followed my example at learning how to research and argue and think independently. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Lord, have yeah. they ever.
2: <laughs> what a blessing, but what a hardship at the same time. Right. <laughs> yes.
0: Mary, this has been a incredible conversation. So many gems. I, I just hope that our listeners... we will consider listening more than once because there is a lot here. And uh, uh, how can our listeners connect with you?
2: The clearinghouse of most of my offerings is at drmarywild.com. So it's at drmarywild.com.
0: And we'll put all of that in the show notes, of course.
2: I'm really curious one thing.
1: You have (laughs) eight boys. What does your living room and kitchen look like?
2: I'm not telling.
1: I will tell you straight up (laughs) right now. My kitchen table is full of car parts. Um, There is currently a plate out there with some uh, broken up nacho leavings and the couch with a great big hole in it. This is my world.
2: Right. Very frequently I've had jars of bugs on my kitchen table. Um, I recently had a jar of 20 scorpions on my porch. Um, you know, I have a big mound of laundry that
0: needs to yeah. be attended
2: to. <laughs> yeah. And and luckily, my husband does most yay. of it, so yay. <laughs> yay.
0: <laughs> this has been lovely, and thank you so much for sharing your heart and your mind and your spirit with us today, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And you've stayed with us till the end. That was longer than our usual conversations, but oh my goodness, she had so much wisdom to share. And I know all of that wisdom and more is packed into the anxiety courses that Dr. Mary is offering to us this on boys community so again just to remind you go to bit.ly bit.ly slash on boys and get the special offer that she has so generously shared with us you will get the parent anxiety course the kid anxiety course and then all of those interviews those powerful interviews from the essentials 1.0 summit about anxiety Go to bitly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash onboys, and do take advantage of this special offer. As always, we are here in support, and we wish you the best.
1: Thanks for joining On Boys. Real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men.